So we're going through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 2, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit just as Jesus has uh, Jesus promised. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, had the privilege of being the first person to ever break the news about Jesus, the, rege- the redemption that man had been promised now for four thousand years, and he's the first to just break the news. He closed his, he declares actually in in verse 23 of chapter 2, he says, Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified and put to death, God has raised up, having destroyed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He closed his message by saying this, repent every one of you. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 41, it says, and those, this is important for our chapter today, and those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Then in Acts chapter 3, Peter gives the second sermon ever given, the second time this news was, had broke about Messiah had come. At the beginning of chapter 4, it says, and many of those who heard that word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says that through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and there were, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. Believers were added to the Lord. When you come to Christ, it says you're added to the Lord. You're part of his body. Something that we can't fully understand, but that's what happened. Then in chapter 6, verse 1, we read same kind of thing. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. We've seen the church ever since that first sermon that Peter gave. People gladly received the word. It says 3,000, then 2,000 in chapter 4, and then an increase in chapter 5, verse 1. The church continues to grow, and growing and a growing church, or what actually comes with any growing church? What comes with a growing church? Problems. There arose a complaint, verse 1, against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So who are the Hellenists? No, they were not a cult who believed that everyone goes to hell. Hellenists. Although I'm sure somewhere in the world there is a group meeting today that believes that. No, the Hellenists were Jews who lived in various places in the Roman Empire outside of the area we know as Israel. They were Jews, but they had been Greekified. Ever meet an American who's been Francified or Germanified? 
or South Americaid, that type of thing. These were Greekified, the Greek culture. Uh, permeated the Roman Empire. And they, so these Jews were called Hellenists. And they had come to Jerusalem. They had heard the good news. Remember Pentecost? The Jews came from all over the world. That's when the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's when that first harvest was brought in. They had responded to the news, and they were now followers of Christ. They're living alongside of Hebrews, that is, Jews who lived in the area we know as Israel, and these Hebrews had given their lives to Christ. So you have these Hellenists living alongside of Hebrews. And verse 1 says, there arose a complaint. And that word complaint in the Greek, it means murmuring. It means a secret debate, a secret displeasure, not openly avowed. It means a querulous discontent. Who knows what querulous means? You can tell me after the service. I don't know what that means, but it just sounds like querulous, querulous discontent. So you look at this verse and you think to yourself, well, this has all the ingredients of a church split. Wow. Ingredient number one, what? Prejudice, racism. The Hebrew Jews generally looked down upon these Greekified Jews. The Greekified Jews, they weren't the real thing. They lived outside the motherland. They sold out to this pagan Greek culture. When they spoke, they didn't sound like a real Jew. They had this Parisian accent or whatever, this Greek accent. They spoke Hebrew. They, they sounded kind of weird. The Hellenic Jews, however, they looked at the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. Oh, what a bunch of snobs these people are. We have to put up with them three times a year when we come to the feast. They're a bunch of snobs. They think they're better than we are because they live closer to the temple. Ingredient number one, prejudice, racism. Ingredient number two, what was the secret murmuring about? It was about money. Ultimately, that's what it came down to, greed. Ingredient number three, unhappy grandmamas. Ooh, that is not good. And so here's this murmuring going on, and we don't know if it's true or not, whether or not there had been an uneven distribution of the daily goods probably means uh, food, clothing could also have been money. And uh, so the complaint is that the Greek widows believe that they are, I should call them Greekified because really they were Jews, but they believe they were given the, the short end of the stick when it came to the daily distribution of food. Now remember, there was plenty to go around. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, remember, we read that this, this, you know, people filled now with the Lord, they're filled with Jesus, they were like selling property and just uh, became, uh, had this different understanding of their own possessions. Their possessions were no longer theirs. And they would just sort of lay them at the apostles' feet. No one went, uh, was really in need because there was just a, a wonderful outpouring, as there always is when people are really obeying the Lord and obeying Jesus. But it appears there may have been an uneven distribution of what came 
in. So the issue was not lack of money. It was the distribution of it. And the Greek grandmas were crying foul. Okay, now, it's important that you get this. We have re- repeatedly read in the first five chapters of, about this church. I mean, this was one healthy church. The men and women in this church filled with the Holy Spirit. We read about that over and over. We've repeatedly read that God was performing signs and wonders uh, among them. We repeatedly read that this church was constantly in prayer, in the Word, teaching. It says they went from house to house. It says they went daily into the temple every day. So what do we learn? What are we supposed to take from? Remember, this is an instruction manual, the book of Acts, about how to do church. What do we learn from the instruction manual of how to do church from this uh, sixth chapter of this uh, instruction manual? It's this. Healthy churches are not immune from people problems. Healthy churches are not immune from big people problems. Why is that? We're going to talk about that. But to sum it all up, God brings people into the church, men, women, and children, just the way they are. Just the way they are. Prejudice, racist, greedy, and belligerent. Jesus uses the illustration of a drag net a net that drags along the ocean floor. It's picking up everything just the way it is. He receives us just the way we are. In Matthew chapter 9, wonderful picture. Jesus looks over the crowd of people before him. It says that he saw that they were weary and scattered That's a great word study, those two words in Matthew 9, weary and scattered. It means they were harassed. One translation could be they were distressed and dying or fainting. And when it says when Jesus saw the people, it broke his heart. Uses the word compassion there. Falls way short of what it really is in the Greek. He was physically moved. He was groaning. His body was sort of uh, uh, churning within him because he sees these people distressed and dying. It says they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were messed up. And they had no shepherd to clean up the mess, to restore the the mess to its proper place. They had no shepherd to lead them by still waters, to lay them down in green pastures. And in chapter 11, it says that when Jesus saw these weary and scattered sheep, harassed, distressed, dying, he said, come to me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, mean take my life upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, he invites them just the way they are. It would be quite a while before these weary and scattered sheep would be normal sheep again. They 
had issues. So when in Acts chapter 2, G, uh, Peter breaks the news of the, uh, of the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ has been raised up. Now repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It says that those who gladly received the word were baptized and were added to them. 3,000. What was the requirement to be baptized? One thing, that they gladly received the word. That's it. They had believed that Jesus was crucified, that he was raised from the dead, and now offered to, uh, and now was offering to forgive them all their sins. They gladly received that. It doesn't say they had to gladly receive the word, and then they went before, you know, James and, and John, the, the sons of thunder, who, who gave them a good looking down. He says, oh, no, you're a greedy one. You're out. Oh, you're a racist one. You're out. Oh, you're belligerent. You're out. The rest of you, okay, you can go to the dunk tank. That's not what happened. It says they gladly received the word. All that gladly received the word were baptized. And when the Lord was bringing in that first harvest, just as he does when he harvests today, he, he, he receives Everyone, like the dragnet, racist, greedy, money lovers, belligerent, sex, sexually immoral, drunks, you know, workaholics, video gameaholics, whatever. He just, they're all in. The net pulls you all in, all of us in. God is love. That's what love does. God accepts them just the way they are. Of course, he's not going to let us stay that way, right? He loves us too much to let us stay that way. He's not going to let us just hold on to destructive stuff in our lives. But he accepts us just the way we are. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus because you think you have to clean it up before you give your life to Jesus. Every third week we hear this from someone. Well, i got to do this, this, and this. Then I can give my life to the Lord. you got it all backwards. You first go to Christ, then the Bible says, and then he cleans you up. That's what grace is all about. Grace is just a recognition that we can do nothing to be saved, nothing other than gladly receive the word. So back in Acts chapter 6, why is it that healthy churches are not immune from people problems, even big-time people problems? Why is it that a church filled with the Holy Spirit filled with prayer, the teaching of God's word. God is doing wonderful things, signs and wonder uh, among them. Why is it not immune from people problems? Because when God brings in the harvest, he brings in people just the way they are. It takes time for a racist, prejudiced person to change. We've been defiled by sin. Sin has defiled us. It has affected us in, in, in such profound ways. We, we have, uh, you know, no idea how profound it is. But the Bible says that he begins a work in you at the time you believe, and he completes it and takes you to a different place. But sometimes it, it may even take years before you even recognize that you have some, kind, uh, some sin issue in your life. What do you mean I'm belligerent? 
I'm going to smack you with this cane, sonny. You know, this type of deal. I, I, you know, you meet, the, you see this type of thing. People just, it, it takes time. So badly have we been uh, defiled by sin. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, speaking of his own walk and his own lingering issues. This is the apostle Paul for crying out loud after about 20 years here. He says, not that I have attained it. What is he referring to is it, just the holiness of his, of his walk. Not that I have attained it or am already perfected, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Listen, there's plenty that we need to forget about from our past life. The Bible says God remembers our sin no more. Why is it that we spend so much time remembering it? Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the church in the book of Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit and prayer in the Word, serving the Lord diligently, it still had its... It's issues, though. It says that in verse 1, it says that there arose a complaint, a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now, tragically, this is where most churches, they never get beyond this point. They never get beyond this point right here. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. They do the first five chapters. But they get to chapter 6, verse 1. They never get beyond it. This type of thing happens. There's a conflict between one group uh, and another. And, 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 you know, they call a meeting and they say, you know, we think it would be a wise thing to form two churches. A Hebrew church and a Hellenist church. A black church and a white church. Because, you know, the people will be more comfortable with their own people and they'll understand each other. And besides, you know, there are cultural differences. Stop! Just stop right there. Don't do that. Don't blame your sin on culture. Don't blame your sin on culture. Just call sin for what it is. It's, it's sin. You know, I know he's a big drinker, but he's Irish. It's a cultural thing. <laughs> you know, I know he's got the machismo thing going, but he's, you know, come on, he's, ex- he's Hispanic. He's Hispanic. It's a culture. That's what they do down there. I know he's rude and sensitive, but he's from Boston. I mean, it's a cultural thing around here. No, it's not. It's not a cultural thing. It's sin. Now, I'm not talking about being stupid American and going down to Haiti or Peru or the other places we go to and behaving like we know everything. Yes, there is such a thing as cultural insensitivity, but how often, particularly in a multicultural community like we live in, I get into some counseling session. Well, it's, a, it's just a cultural thing that this marriage is falling apart. No, it's not. It's selfishness. It's rebellion. It's sin. 
Jesus was pretty clear on what his idea was for his church. And it wasn't for white churches, black churches, Hispanic churches, or Hellenic churches. Mark chapter 11, verse 17, mark it down. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Period. End of paragraph. That's, that is what we go for if we are going to take the word of God seriously. We can either just attribute and excuse all things to culture, or we can just simply obey the word of God. And when there's a conflict among us that involves on the outside something that looks cultural, we know, because we know the word of God. This chapter, Acts chapter 6, God has something incredibly better for us. Jesus himself, my house, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Not some nation, not just one nation, all nations. The last thing Jesus prayed before, before he was arrested and crucified, what was it? John 17, 20. I do not pray for these alone. He's praying to the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he uh, uh, drops a sweat filled with blood or pouring out of his face as he's praying this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, i.e. the Hellenists and whoever else comes into the harvest, that they all may be one. Not separate, one. It's always been my vision for Calvary Chapel in the city to be just a melting pot of the world because let me tell you, that is such an incredible witness to the world. Not only are they fellowshipping uh, together, not only are they getting along, but they're going in the same direction with gladness in their heart. That is what a witness is to the world. That's the witness that, that, that Boston needs. Boston's got a long racist history. It needs something very, very different. By the Spirit of God, we can be something really, really different. So many churches never get beyond verse 1. But if a church is filled with the Holy Spirit, if it understands God's priority for unity, it presses on. Verse 2, then the, the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Let that sink in. It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnamus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So the apostles hear the murmuring, they identify the problem, and they identify the need which will resolve the problem. What was the need? 
there was a need for seven men to serve tables and to oversee the distribution. Seven men to serve tables. How, how easy is that? I mean, all you need is like a guy with a pulse, right? There's someone you don't have to do CPR on. I mean, you can sit at the cafeteria door and just tag the first seven guys who come through the door, right? Tag, you're it. You got KP or whatever, kitchen patrol, whatever you used to call it. No. It says in verse 3, it says, choose from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You don't want anyone dealing with belligerent Greek grandmas. You, you, you racial prejudice, greed. All of which starts stewing up. You know, it's amazing. You know, having done, uh, you know, uh, ministry for sort of many years in, in different countries and different contexts, it's amazing how you can set out on doing a good thing. You're just trying to help someone, you know, feed them food and clothe them, but all of a sudden, all kinds of gunk starts coming up. That's how Satan operates. He doesn't want any of that stuff happening. It says, you want people who are a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. You want people come into our church and they want to become teachers of the Word of God. We say, okay, you start off by teaching the small kids or, or you usher or you set up a breakdown. And we do get people who say, wait a second, been there, done that. I'm a seasoned teacher of the Word of God. Well, I believe if a person is truly gifted, if they're truly filled with Holy Spirit and wisdom, they'll do whatever they're asked to do, and they'll do it gladly. And that is a stepping stone for them doing uh, more prominent things for the Lord. Not, not more important, but things that are in the public eye. For example, Stephen right here. Obviously, we'll read in the next chapter all about him. Went on to become just this, this really powerful debater an apologist to the Word of God that no one could refute. Philip went on to be an evangelist, a very sort of public job. Not more important, but it was sort of more in the public eye. And so uh, it says that the requirement just to serve tables, the, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, it starts with, with serving tables. You know, first, one of the first things I did at, at church when I was a new believer, where I w- was part of a team who went out and did visitation, and man, I was in charge of that box of cards of new people. You know, visitors sign a card and put it in a box, and that's what Steve did. It made, it, it, you know, I kept track of the cards, kept track of whether they had been visited or not. That stuff's really important. And yes, it needs someone who's full of the Holy Spirit and is willing to do it faithfully. So anyway, anyway, so you have this complaint, this murmuring um, arose against uh, uh, the the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Notice, by the way, nothing wrong with bringing up a complaint. One of the themes in the book of Acts is that the disciples were of one one accord, one mind, one heart. Over and over and over again, we've read that, and we've talked about that week after week. It repeatedly says in all these chapters, I think it's, Seven times in the first five chapters, it says they were of one mind and one heart. 
That doesn't mean just because a church is of one heart seeking after the Lord that when you discover something wrong, you don't tell someone in leadership about it. The church is all about serving the body. The church is all about serving the least, right? And if the least aren't being served, something's desperately wrong. I'm so grateful when people come to me with different things. I remember one time someone came up to me and said, hey, you know, Steve, in the hotel lobby, there is a sign and direction of how to get to church. But there are also signs and directions. There's another sheet that signs and directions of how to get to the nursery. Do you really want everyone who comes into the hotel lobby to know how to get to the nursery? No, I don't. And I'm glad that you told me that. And these are important things. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not one, like one of those Greek mythology monsters with, with, with eyes all over my head. You know, you guys are the, the, the eyes and ears You're of the body of Christ. And, and so a healthy church, these things um, are resolved. I also want to point out, notice how every one of these people that they appointed were Greeks. Every one of them has a, has a Greek name, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Par, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, all Greek names. I'll tell you what would have happened in the world. What would have happened in the world? Well, okay, there's... Uh, 60% Hellenists, and there's 40% Greeks, and so we'll do uh, six or, or, you know, whatever it is. Two-thirds need to be Greeks and uh, one-third, you know, Hebrews. No, every single one of them. Was this love or what? Every single one of them. Was a, was a Greek. He said, well, what about the Hebrews? They're trusting. That's why they asked for men full of the Holy Spirit. They're relying on the Holy Spirit, not some silly corporate, you know, committee type of behavior here. Every one of them uh, was, was Greek. And so, anyway, pretty big issue here. The apostles come up with the solution to appoint seven men to oversee this matter. Verse 5 says this. The saying pleased the whole multitude. So all of a sudden, there was this murmuring that was, uh, that was going on, this secret displeasure, uh, as it says there. But verse 5 says the solution pleased the whole multitude, made everyone happy. And you say, wow, you know, that's great. A church split was avoided. Yes, a church split was avoided. Every time the body of Christ is broken up by a church split, it breaks the heart of God. But there was something else that was avoided here that was a far greater threat and danger and that has done actually infinitely more damage to the body of Christ even than church splits. What was that? Well, verse 2 says this. They say, the apostles, when they come out with the, their, their solution, they say, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And then it says in verse 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word while these other seven men are overseeing the ministry. What are they, they say is, is, is sort of at the heart of their solution. We need to stay in prayer and in the word of God. Now, in Acts chapter 5, we saw Satan try to attack the church by doing what? By luring Ananias and Sapphira uh, into 
hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has destroyed the life of many churches. But there is something that has destroyed far more churches than hypocrisy has. Church leaders leaving the word of God. Church leaders leaving the word of God. And listen, here's how Satan always does it. Or often does it. Or most of the time does it. Here's how he does it. He's so clever. He draws leaders away from the word of God to something which on the face of it appears to be a great human need. There are widows who need you. They need your time. There are orphans who need your time. Handicapped people. People who, uh, you know, are, are suffering. They need you. And, 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 you know, prayer, the word of God, that can wait. This need cannot wait. Brothers and sisters, thousands of churches, thousands of churches have died because the leaders were drawn away from the word of God. And they ran after, yes, a need. They ran after it, but after a while, after a number of years, they didn't look anything different than a government workshop doing the same thing. People need the Word of God. That's what people need. And it is such a temptation to leave it. And, you know, of course, this doesn't mean that for a second that the ministry of widows and orphans uh, is ignored. Was it ignored here? No. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 says, those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Another one we should cut out and put over our doorposts unless we try to spiritualize our whole life. Well, I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer. I, you know, that's all I have to do. No. It says, those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. The work needs to get done, but not at the expense of the leaders leaving the Word of God. Oh, the temptations that Satan will use to draw a church away from the Word of God. We talked about it last week. A few days before Jesus was crucified, he was in Bethany right outside of Jerusalem. Mary took a very expensive perfume, a fragrant oil, probably worth a whole year's wages. And she pours out this thing on Jesus' head. She anoints his feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. And what happened? The book of Matthew says it says the disciples were indignant. They were angry. Why this waste? This oil could have been sold and given to the poor. Oh, the wily, crafty schemes of Satan. That's exactly how he always works. Why? Because it, it'll draw us away from uh, uh, the Lord. Jesus said what to them? Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the good news is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Is Jesus trying to get something across there or what? The whole world? Some crazy woman breaks up her perfume and pours it on his head and the whole world's going to find out about it? He's making 
a point that is so central to our faith and our relationship with Jesus. We need the word. The Bible says Jesus is the word. In, in Luke chapter 11, when Martha was complaining to Jesus because Mary was at his feet, you know, listening to the word, cherishing it in her heart, Martha complained, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't you care? Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen it, and it will not be taken away from her. Listen. If you've left the word of God to do something that is better and you've just convinced yourself in your heart that that other thing has to be done, it just has to be, Jesus says that good thing is never taken away, meaning he's not doing that. He's not leading you down that path. It's not him that's leading you away. It's your own flesh. It's the temptation of the enemy who's taken the word of God away from you. One thing is needed. The apostles knew that. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And I love verse 7. What does it say of chapter 6? It says, then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Isn't that great? Isn't that just a great cap on this lesson? These there's such a powerful message in these, uh, the first six verses there. Just the importance of the Word of God, the importance of unity, the importance of oneness. My, uh, you know, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The, just the importance of just seeking the Lord, not letting anything take our time away from Him. All right. We'll pick up next week in verse 8. Will the worship team please... Come up, we will close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for setting your priority so uh, black and white uh, before us, Lord. It's, it's what we need. You're what we need. You're what we need, Jesus. You are what we need. And we pray, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Show us, Lord, where we've been deceived. Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning, just down a path, a road that they have taken out of good intentions, but completely contrary to where you would have taken your priority for them. They thought they were doing it for you, but they've been deceived. I just pray that you would just speak very clearly in their life. Father, I just pray for all of us. Give us hearts like Mary who broke that bottle of fragrant oil, a whole year's wages, and poured it out on your head, Lord, and just anointed you with it and sat at your feet and cherished your word, Lord. That's who we want to be. Lord, always careful to maintain good works in our life, but always careful, Lord, just to keep you front and center. Lord, we want to be those people. Please give us the grace. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.